We're not going to take a lot of time today, but I do want to open up God's word with you and share with you truth from his word, from the gospel of Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, let's go to Luke chapter 2 together, but also you'll find that in the outline, I've printed out the entire reading for you, particularly if you didn't bring a Bible with you today. So if you want to turn to that, do that. If not, just look at the, out, the uh, outline that you were handed as you walked in today. And something we do, it's kind of a a church family tradition of ours, is that when we read the Word of God in the beginning of the sermon, we stand in honor of God's Word. So if you're physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Holy Word and follow along either in your outline or in your copy of the Scriptures in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read beginning in verse 8, and I'll read through verse 21. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. This is what the Word of God says. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Well, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, the words I just read are probably among the most familiar words in the Western world. In fact, you don't have to be a Christian or a a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian to be familiar with them. In fact, regardless of whether or not you know Jesus, if you know Linus, uh, you're probably familiar with the words that I just read from the 1965 classic, A Charlie Brown Christmas. He read those same words from the Gospel of Luke. I, I won't take a lot of time today, but in the short time we have together, I want to both ask and answer this question. How do we connect Christmas Day to the everyday? In other words, how should we respond to the birth of Christ in such a way that it impacts our lives beyond December 25th? Everything I just read to you from the Gospel of Luke happened when? After Jesus was born. Uh, there, the, the angel appears to the shepherds and tells them Christ the Lord had been born in, uh, that day in the city of David, Luke 2 and verse 11. They're told how to recognize the baby Jesus and said he'd be wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. Then the sky was filled with angels who rejoiced and praised God. Then the angels disappear and the shepherds are there 
obviously shocked, staring at one another and decide to go find Jesus. And they do so with great haste. Luke chapter two and verse 16. Then we read this beginning in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. How do we connect Christmas Day to the everyday, our everyday lives outside of Christmas Day? Well, first of all, even though you celebrate Christmas just once each year, you can remember the truth of Christmas every day, but that's not going to happen automatically. If you see in Luke chapter 2, verse 18, it says, All who heard it wondered. Many people who hear the word of God will wonder. Many people who hear the word of God will go, huh, So that's how it took place. But verse 19 says something different that Mary did. Mary, verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Why did she do this? Well, because she was hearing something extraordinary, but from very ordinary people. Like, consider this. The shepherds were sitting in a field when suddenly an angel appeared, told them what he told them, and then the sky was filled with more angels who sang. That, my friends, is not something you're likely to forget. That's probably something they'll be talking about for all of their days. Mary, however, had recently given birth to a child she conceived without having sex. Joseph is with her, but he's not the father of the baby. She's probably not in her best frame of mind since the only thing constant in her life is change and the only thing normal is the abnormal. So when shepherds show up, this is not something that's incredibly memorable considering all that has taken place in recent months because Mary's probably like, sure, why not? Throw in some shepherds, right? Like what else? What else you got for me? So it's probably not something that would stand out to her because compared to what she's been through, the shepherds are fairly ordinary. Sure, there's shepherds here. I just gave birth in a manger. Or, and like, what else do you want? We'll just add to it. And so wanting to remember these things, Mary does something in verse 19. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So the Greek verb there that's translated treasure means to actively keep something in mind, lest it be forgotten. So it's like purposing to remember something. Like if something happens and you think, hold on, I better, I better put that in my phone and set a reminder because I don't want to what? Forget, right? I better write that down in my planner. I better tie a string to my finger, whatever. I better do something. You fill in the blank with something. is. I better do blank or else I will forget. That's what Mary is doing here. She is seeking to make sure that she doesn't forget what the shepherds just told her, and we'd be wise to do the same, to treasure it in our hearts, to do something in our lives to make sure that we remember this. Because let's face it, I do my best to preach the word, I study, I pray, I prepare, I preach the sermon, and you are unbelievably kind, very appreciative, very supportive, very grateful, and one of the most responsive, application-hungry congregations on God's green earth. Our church has three campuses, but you are the best. (laughs) But my mom was in the first service. You could ask her. I'm no angel. Like we said last week, we're all jars of clay. We're all just ordinary clay pots, and quite frankly, we're We're pretty forgettable. The shepherds heard from an angel, and that's how they received the word of God. You and I get a book. 
right? Like, you get a book and a man delivering the word of God to you, and that's fairly ordinary. You say, don't say the Bible's ordinary. Okay, I'm not saying the Bible's ordinary. I'm just saying there's lots of books, right? And I know this, like mine is like gold on the outside, but how often do you wake up on a Tuesday and be like, I remember the gold pages. Like, that doesn't happen. It's fairly ordinary. The message is extraordinary, but the way we receive the word of God, it's kind of ordinary. I'm no angel. A book's no angel. Mary received something that had happened from the shepherds, but they weren't angels. And so she purposed in her heart, I need to remember this. This is not extraordinary. This is random shepherds who just came walking in, and I need to remember this. A story is pretty forgettable, which is why we, like Mary, would do well to ponder these things, to treasure up these things. Perhaps you remember, if you're familiar with some of Jesus' parables, the parable of the sower, it's in Matthew 13. I put that in your outline. Uh, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3. And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, he sowed some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so Jesus tells a parable and likens the word of God to a seed, and he goes on to describe four different scenarios, four different uh, areas of ground, if you will, that that seed fell upon and what subsequently happened. In all of them, the seed is fine, right? It's good seed. But in each of those situations, it falls into different circumstances. And then he goes on, which you can read on your own, either in your outline or in the Bible, to explain each of those circumstances, that this is what this particular portion of the parable referred to. But I just want to call to your attention that in three out of the four circumstances, the seed does nothing. Nothing. Three out of four times, the seed doesn't take root. Three out of four times, the word of God produced no fruit because of the condition of the heart in which it fell upon. Most people who hear the true account of Christmas from the word of God forget it. It's just a story. I ain't no angel. In fact, I don't think it would be an overstatement to say, maybe three out of four people forget it, or three out of four people forget the message of the gospel after they hear it. But some do what Mary did. Some treasure up these things. Some ponder them in their hearts and are changed by God's word as a result. For us, Christmas is hopefully a a high point, but not the only point. We're impacted by the truth of God's word. We treasure and ponder God's word in our hearts throughout our lives, not just on Christmas. And so what about you? Uh, if you look back on your life or on your year, which, which group do you fall in? Have you been impacted and changed by treasuring the truth of God's word? Or is it just, just Christmas time again and the pastor's reading Linus's sermon? Do you ponder the truth of God's word on a regular basis or it's just a story? It's just a book and I ain't no angel. 
Here's something else we see in that passage. When the angels are praising God because of Jesus' birth, what do they say? Look at Luke 2, verses 13 and following. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And even though you sense peace at Christmas time, the message of Christmas can bring lasting peace every day. Every day. I think you'd probably agree with me that in most cases things are a bit quieter on Christmas Day. There tends to be a unique sense of peace on Christmas. Maybe you're the street in front of your house or if you're driving around you notice there's just a there's just a calm. Even even growing up in New York City, the city that never sleeps still hushes and perhaps never more than on Christmas Day. Buses and trains still run, people are still out, but it's different. It's Christmas. But the day after Christmas, here, there, and everywhere, sure, kids are off from school, and and some people aren't working, but our interstates are still likely to frustrate us. The parking lots that were chock full of cars on the days leading up to Christmas by people purchasing are now chock full of cars on December 26th by people making returns or taking advantage of after-Christmas sales because it is the best time to buy Christmas lights and decor. But friends, there's a peace that Christians have that has nothing to do with with the season, but everything to do with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Long after Christmas is done and over with, Christians still have peace. We have peace with God, and that's not because of a holiday or a season or a scent or a certain piece of food. No, it's we have peace with God like every day because of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. Listen to some of Jesus' words as an adult from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Verse 33 says, I have said these things to you, Jesus says, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus came to bring peace. But not what I'll call horizontal peace, right? Like peace between people on a horizontal level. Sure, that might happen as a result of people embracing Christ or as a result of people taking stock of life and numbering their days around Christmas and realizing they want to make amends with different people. That might happen, but the primary peace that Jesus came to bring was not horizontal peace, but vertical peace, peace between people and God. Sinful people and a pure and holy God. That's really why we have Christmas. That's why Jesus was born. He was born to bring lasting peace that outlasts the Christmas leftovers. Peace that lasts long after the wrapping paper is all picked up and the stockings are emptied and the lights are put back in the attic or the closet or the garage or wherever you keep them. And so what about you? Do you have peace, not with everyone in your life, But do you have peace with God? Maybe you don't believe in God. You're here visiting or you're here with a friend, but you'd say, I don't really believe in God. I think prayers bounce off the ceiling and I think there's nothing out in the sky but sky. But if you don't believe in God, you need to know that Romans 8 and verse 7 says that the mind that is set on the flesh... Right, set on that which we can see and feel and touch. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. You say, nope, not 
angry at God. I can't be angry at a God that I don't believe in. So I just don't believe in God. But until you see that your, your mind is actually hostile to God, that in and of itself left to yourself, you are angry at God, you really don't understand yourself. The word of God says left to ourselves, we are angry at God. We don't have peace with God. You say, you don't even know me. And I say two things. Number one, I don't know you, but the word of God does. And number two, you seem to be pretty angry at God's word. And that is kind of proving the point of God's word. And so circle gets the square. What he's saying is that natural person, the unbeliever, is actually angry at God. Even those who don't believe in God lack peace with the God in whom they claim to not believe in. But here's the other thing. The religious person also doesn't have peace with God. Right? They've based their lives on doing all the things, right? They're making a list and checking it twice. They're praying the right prayers. They're going to the right places. They're hanging out with the right people. They're doing all the things. So their good outweighs their bad. But they too lack peace with God. They're just trying to really control the outcome, to control the Lord, take him hostage to their record and looking at him and saying, hey, I did all the things, right? I tried my best. You know I tried my best. So, so pay up, like pony up, pay your part of the deal. And that's not unbelief, but that's also not peace. Right? There's nothing peaceful about this scale of hoping my good outweighs my bad, hoping it all turns out well in the end, hoping that my record will account for the good things I did and that will outweigh the not good things that I did. The only people who have peace with God have it because they believe in the Christ of Christmas and believe that that baby took their sinful record upon him and exchanged it for his perfect record, and they believe that he took the punishment that was due them and died in their place. And then we take his perfect record and are loved instead, and we have peace with God. Not just because of the holiday season, not because of Bing Crosby, and not because of any favorite movie. We watched White Christmas last night. Actually, it was the first time I'd ever seen it. Just stop, okay? Don't judge. Just stop. I know. My wife had the same response. She was wondering how she settled in life to have married a man who hadn't seen White Christmas yet and is in his 40s. But I saw it for the first time. Anyway, we don't have peace with God just because of our traditions or because of snow, snow, all that. We'd like, that's all great. It's good. We loved it. Great movie. That's not what gives us lasting peace. What gives us lasting peace is knowing and loving the Savior, believing that he actually did something beyond just coming out of the womb, but that he died in place of sinners like you and like me. That's what Paul means when he says in Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, as we close, I just want to consider one of the First things the angel says when he shows up on the scene with the shepherds. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
And even though this life is often filled with fears, embracing the true message of Christmas, the gospel, lets you face life with confidence that can only be found in the gospel. For some people, the true meaning of Christmas brings great joy and peace. For others, that same message brings about great fear. I want you to know that particularly if you're in the latter of those two categories, that God knows that and he cares. So many times when angels show up in the scriptures, they acknowledge the fear of the hearer. And before they deliver their message, they first say, hey, uh, don't, like, don't die. Like, <laughs> calm down. Because when angels show up, they don't exactly like knock and they're like, hey, do you have a minute? Can I maybe come in? If not, I can come back. They always show up and they make a big scene because they're angels, right? And so the first thing they say before they deliver their message is like, hey, don't die. Hey, calm down. It's really very compassionate of the Lord because the angel could just like show up and just like kick in the door and kind of follow through the elm and be like, I bring you good news. Tidings of great joy, baby was born. If you're scared, fine. But that's not what God does. First thing the angel says is, calm down. It's very kind of the Lord. Fear not. I don't know what you've thought of the sermon thus far. Maybe you're the unbeliever and you're kind of ticked. But there's a small part of you that's also afraid to be wrong. You don't have to admit it to me. You don't have to admit it to the person you came with. But you know it, that deep down, you are ticked, but you're also just a little scared because... You know if Christians are wrong, we've wasted our time and our life following a lunatic and we just die and that's that. But you acknowledge that if you're wrong, that wouldn't turn out so well in the end and therefore you lack peace with God. And I just want to take a minute and say, calm down. Fear not. Maybe you're a religious person. You've never missed a church service or a mass or a prayer you're supposed to pray. You've You've done all the things. But you still admit that you look back on your record and as proud as you are of your record, you still lack peace. And you hope it works out, but you don't know if it's going to work out. And so at the end of the day, it's still, it's still a gamble, right? Still a crapshoot, still a flip of a coin or a roll of the die. And you're hoping it lands in your favor, but no one has peace as they flip coins or roll dice. No one. And so you're trying, but you also realize that at the end of the day, you lack peace. And I just want to take a moment and speak to you and say, calm down, fear not. 
God loves people just like you and just like me. He loves the unbeliever enough to change that person's heart and mind. He loves the religious who are super impressed with themselves and God's like this, but he loves that person enough to change their heart and mind and to call them into his family. Fear not. Calm down. He sent his one and only son to be born on the first Christmas Day because he loves sinners just like you. Whether you're the unbeliever or the super religious, he loves sinners just like you and just like me. And although we're just kind of feeling in the darkness of this world and the darkness of our hearts and the darkness of our lives, the grace and mercy of God has pierced through the darkness with the light of Christ. As Pastor Aaron said to children before, he's the light of the world for all the world to see. And so, I'm no angel. But my message to you is similar to the angel's message to the shepherds. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, the unbeliever, And the super religious. God loved this world. God loved sinners like you and like me. So much. That he sent his one son. Into this world. That whoever believes in him. Whoever puts all their eggs in one basket. Whoever puts their faith. Their trust in Jesus Christ. Would not perish. But have everlasting life. Whoever believes that Jesus took his perfect record and put your name on it, and that Jesus took your imperfect record, whether it's imperfect because you're an unbeliever or imperfect because you're religious, but you can't do all the things because every one of us is a sinner and the best of men are men at best. He takes your record, which is imperfect and flawed, and puts his name on it. And he gets treated as you deserve. And you get treated as he deserves. He takes on your punishment, your guilt, and your shame. And you receive the love that the father could only have for a perfect child of his own. Fear not. God sent his son into this world on the first Christmas Day, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son in the world so that the world could be saved through him, because whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. And that's the good news of Christmas. And so I want to call our worship team and our people who are helping with this next portion of our service, which will involve candle lighting. And yes, we're doing that because it's a church family tradition of ours, and we enjoy doing that and doing something a little special. 
We enjoy giving out glow sticks to you if you're so inclined to enjoy them yourselves. But the most important reason that we do this is to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world, that he shatters darkness, that he removes guilt and removes shame. And so we reflect upon this picture that we get from the word of God, right? It's not, this is our tradition because we think lights are pretty. We get this from the word of God. And so we reflect upon it now to remind us of the light of Christ, to remind us of the truth of the gospel, and to remind us of the hope that exists only in Jesus Christ. And it's our hope and prayer that that hope would be your hope, which would bring about the merriest and most blessed of Christmases.